You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Way to go, Acolytes. You're getting there. may not look like a lot of work, but that's a lot of work, and those kids are risking their lives with those torches of oil. Just got to keep an eye on them. Good morning, everybody. If you're new here, I'm Father Sean. I'm the rector here at Resurrection South Austin. And uh, on behalf of the whole Resurrection, Resurrection family, I'm going to say welcome. So glad that you're here. We have an amazing day of events on today. We're going to see some really interesting things. Um, but we are in the third week of Lent. We've been going through Lent. All of Lent, we've been praying through the Psalms in this series called Restore. And what we've been trying to do is take on the, the prayer language of the Psalms, which in these particular Psalms are penitent Psalms or kinds of songs, we want to take on this language for ourselves in this season as a way of um, instructing our lives of prayer as we walk through Lent, making us aware maybe of things that we need to speak to God about that we have overlooked or somehow have become a blind spot in our lives. The book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, the prayer book of Jesus himself um, gives us that language to examine our lives throughout Lent. And I encourage you as you make your way through Lent, this is a great way to to pray and meditate through these psalms. So I'd encourage you to do that with the rest of us. Well, last week, this is what we talked about. Last week, God, restore our sight was our prayer. You remember that? We said, God, restore our sight that we might see your beauty. And we were reminded that, in fact, we do get to see the beauty and the glory of God in its fullness when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. We get to see the beauty of God. That was last week. This week, our prayer in Psalm 63 is this. God, restore our soul. What a great prayer for a day like this where we get to <laughs> baptize. A prayer that I believe God is really eager and ready to respond to this morning in real and tangible ways. Even here in Austin, in our lives. God, restore our soul. Now, one thing I've been doing in Lent, throughout Lent, is I've been kind of re-examining, reconsidering my rhythms of prayer, my disciplines of prayer, and just kind of inspecting how, where, where are the weak spots? Where are the places that I need some attention? What are some of the, um, the areas in my day that are just mundane, that I kind of overlook as these have nothing to do with spirituality or my relationship with God? Like things like washing my hands or washing my face and attaching interesting meaning and prayer to them, like remembering my baptism. I've been doing that through Lent, just kind of inspecting all of my life. Now, we do these kinds of things. I know you all have some of them. Maybe you're giving up meat or alcohol or something. You're fasting. You have these disciplines of prayer that you're examining through Lent. Not so that we can become these metal-wearing Christian people and look down at others, you know, because we're so much better or something. Actually, it's quite the opposite. We need so much help. We have so many problems. And actually, we've convinced ourselves that we don't, which is even a bigger problem. So we do these things um, so that we can actually become the kinds of people that look and live like Jesus. We try and take on these disciplines for that reason. When everything around us in our world and our culture is tugging at us for more, do more. You're you're a good person. You don't have, everybody's got, you you don't have problems. You're a good person. Just buy more and do more. Make something in your life. In a world that says all of that to us, Lent is this wonderful and beautiful and refreshing gift. It's an invitation to pursue less in order to realize just how thirsty, just how hungry our souls actually are. 
not just thirsty and hungry in just career senses or money senses or family senses or anything like that. But our souls, we find, are actually deeply thirsty and hungry for one thing, for the nearness of God. We want to be near God. We want to know God. We want him to know us. His goodness, his peace, his beauty, his justice. We want to know the salvation of God, don't we? That's ultimately what I think is underneath all of those other desires in our life. In his confession, St. Augustine, you may recognize this. He said this, he wrote this. You have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Can I read that again? I love this. It's a good one. You have formed us for yourself, O oh God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We are certainly a restless bunch. I'm a restless person. Certainly. I know it. I see it for myself all the time. I see it in you guys. I'm just going to call it out. We're restless folks. Our culture, we, are, we live in a restless culture. It's hard not to be restless. Our workplaces, our families are all full throttle, restless, full of anxiety, more, more, more. That kind of busyness, that kind of pace. We're so easily tangled in this restlessness that we find ourselves in this culture, in this hurry, in this anxiety. And all the while... What we want to know, what we're really looking for, what we're really thirsting for, is rest for our souls. To know the one who brings that rest to our souls. I believe this is our life's deepest desire. Every other desire that we have as human beings, I think is ultimately attached at its root to a, des- to a desire to know God. To find rest for our souls in his goodness, in his life. This is exactly... This is exactly what David's prayer in Psalm 63 is talking about this morning. We're going to look at it. Verse 1 says this. Let me just read the first verse for you. It says, Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. For David, he's in the middle of the wilderness hiding from people who want to kill him. In the middle of the wilderness... His desires, his hungers, his thirsts, he realizes and then confesses are ultimately a desire for God, a hunger and a thirst for God. His desires are attached to something even deeper still below the surface that he and we may not even recognize all the time. His desires on the surface, the the way he salivates for water reminds him of the way his parched soul salivates and thirsts for God. This is so key. A lot of people, we we get this wrong all the time. Okay, listen to this. This is so key in our spiritual disciplines as we go through Lent. This is so key to understanding how to fast as prayer. Now, if you go fasting and just because that's what we do in Lent, man, I just wouldn't fast. It kind of doesn't really do anything for you. It just makes you go without and gripe and complain the whole season. But if you can fast, and here's the invitation. If you can fast in such a way that it becomes prayer, that you say, God, I'm hungry for this thing that I've I've taken away from myself And that reminds me how deeply my soul hungers for you, God. The way I crave chocolate. Oh, Lord, you know how I love chocolate. You know what that's attached to? Lord, I recognize that's attached to an even deeper desire still. It's a desire for your goodness in my life. That's how we fast. That's why we fast. So I want to encourage you to examine the ways that you're taking on those spiritual disciplines even in Lent. These hungers, they're ultimately only satisfied by an intimate a very close, long-standing relationship with the living God. And if you, listen, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. 
If you don't know God, you will always be searching, hungry, and never satisfied. For David, life itself, life itself, real life, like the actual thing that we're all looking for, is this, to know God, to be in his presence. Not to merely know about him, not to talk about him or sing songs about him or even pray about him in certain ways, but to actually stand in the first person and to know him yourself, to become his own child, to know him in that kind of a way. Living day in and day out in a most intimate communion with him. Does that make sense? There's such a difference knowing about someone, reading a book about your wife, as opposed to actually knowing your wife from years of being with her. See what I'm saying? That's what we're talking about in our relationship with God. We want to know him for ourselves. So we take on this prayer. We learn from David. We pray with him and learn from him that our souls salivate and groan and hunger to be known by God and to know him for ourselves. Oftentimes, we don't recognize this hunger. We, we think it's actually a hunger for something else. For instance, so many of us, we all hunger for intimacy. We all, we all hunger to be known, to have a deep friendship with someone, to be known in ways that not everyone else knows us. We, we hunger for that closeness. Or maybe we hunger for significance at work. Maybe we want to be recognized for the talents, the things we bring to the team. We hunger for power, for influence over other people. For all the things that we've done for this organization, for instance. You can hear the narratives that we all share. Or maybe it's that longing to know that, you know what, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. We all have, we all, I know, I've named one, I'm sure, hunger that all of us have in this room. This is a peculiar drive in humanity, this, this hunger that kind of bubbles up from underneath. To make something of our lives, to be significant, to have value. To enjoy beauty, to experience the good life, what we call it, right? Can we say that we don't share that? We want that. But actually, all of that, those are all symptoms of one hunger that lies underneath it. Again, to know God and to be known by God. To be his own child. Not intimacy just that we can find in other people, but an intimacy that only comes from a close relationship with God himself. We want, we want power and we want to be significant. There's nothing more powerful and nothing more significant than being recognized as a, a queen, a king, a princess, a prince of God's own kingdom. That's what we actually hunger for, to be his own child. Not just to understand the truth, but to know the person of truth, for instance. Not to just long for justice in the world, but to actually enter into the just life of God for ourselves. Not to be famous or powerful but actually to be valued and known by the God who created you. Those are the hungers that we have. This is why we fast in this way in Lent, to underneath the surface, to uncover that hunger for God. Are you guys following me here? This is why we take on those disciplines, so we can drill down even deeper to that hunger, our soul's deepest hunger for God. It's why the psalmist, for instance, when he's praying in Psalm 63, he so fluidly switches between language about the body and language about the condition of his soul. Listen to this, I'll read it to you. In verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. My lips praise you. My soul is satisfied with a rich feast. My mouth praises you with joyful lips, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And when I read this, when I read Psalm 63, I could almost have it in my hands. It was so bodily, tactful. 
I could feel it in my bones. It was just right there for me to have. I could so relate with that. Can we really be satisfied like this? Can we really have it? Seems like one of those prayers that just sounds good, Sean. I'm, we're with you, but can we really have that kind of satisfaction in our lives? To have living water quench our thirsty souls that have been dried up by sin and death. To have our deepest, now think about this, to have our deepest desires of our life actually realized and placed in our hands. The real desires, the things that we actually want. To have our body and our soul satisfied by a rich and heavenly feast. Is that possible? Can it really be? Can it be? Friends, listen to me. If you haven't listened to me at all, now it's time to turn it on. You've got to hear this. This is the gospel and you need to hear it this morning. Though we, all of us, are confused and lost in sin, parched, cracked, broken, all of us. We busy our lives with hungers and with all of these counterfeits. All of that, despite all of that, God has found you. He's found me amidst all of that. Even when we were enslaved and bound up in sin and we could not help ourselves like the prayer we prayed this morning. We found a God who could help us despite ourselves. Christ died for us. Why? To free us. From the sin that so easily entangles us. To uncover all the symptoms of those desires. To drill down into the actual desire that we have for nearness of God. And to make that possible. Christ died for us. For our sake. He endured suffering and death on a cross. That we might be reconciled. Reunited. Brought into the nearness of the goodness of God's life for ourselves. The weight of our sin. That guilt that we drag around with us day in and day out. That can actually be cut off. And thrown into the pits of hell. Sin separated us as far as from the east is from the west. That's what Christ brings to us this morning. And only in him, only in Jesus, do we find the forgiveness of sin. Only in Jesus are we made right with God and with our neighbor. He's the only one that can do that. Only in him do we finally find our souls restored. Those hungers satisfied. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is actually true. Can we have it? Yes. Listen to me. We can have it this morning. And in fact, we do. We're not abandoned in our sin. We are not left and abandoned in our sin. Praise God that we are not overrun by our own selves and our own habits and our own devices. Those cravings and those lusts that we have, they don't actually get to trample us anymore. We are set free. God is actually setting things right in my life and in your life. Through Jesus Christ, that is the gospel. He's making things right for us. Our prayer, when we pray and sing this morning, it doesn't just go up to the ceiling and then bounce down and hit the floor. We pray to a God who's listening to us and has actually gone ahead of us to answer those prayers before we've even thought to ask them. Our God has delivered us even before we've called upon his name. There's a way to be delivered. There's the one who does deliver, Jesus Christ, who makes a way for us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. To pay for our debt of sin and to secure for us, in our hands, the newness of life. That's what we get. That's the gospel. And he has not only given us, shared his life with us, but he's actually made us his own sons and daughters. Think about it. I know if, if you've come from a really rotten family and maybe just a really horrible situation at home, this is even 
like really good news. This is like real practical news. You are a son and a daughter of God in Jesus Christ. You are brought into the family. You are made one of him in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. This morning we get to experience this good news. Not just me talking up here, rattling on. We actually get to watch and touch and smell and feel and take in this salvation of God, this good news. In the waters of baptism, this gigantic stock tank that we have back here. We get to experience the gift of the gospel given to children. As they're brought into the family of God as God's own sons and daughters. In the waters, the stain of sin, that stench of death that we can never shake is actually washed off. Because we are united with Christ's death in the waters and in his resurrection with the waters. And, but when I go back there, I'm actually going to change from this penitence color of purple. And I'm going to put on this glimpse of Easter white stole to reflect that change as we celebrate baptism. In baptism, we are joined with this life of God that we can partake in in an actual way. I encourage you this morning... If you have never heard this news about what God is doing to reconcile all of us, even you, to himself, I want to encourage you this morning to pray. Respond to that news. There's really practical ways. We're going to get up here. You're going to see the gospel unfold right before you. And I'm going to ask the church, do you believe this and that? And this is a moment in which you can actually stand with Christians around you saying, yes, in fact, I do choose. I decide today to receive this gift of Jesus. And I'm going to respond in these words of the, the baptismal covenant and the creed. This is the statement of what it means to be a Christian. I invite you, if this is the first time you've heard this, you've maybe never responded to this, this is the moment to respond to it. During communion also, we're going to have folks in the back praying. Go and seek them out, have them pray with you. For you guys who have been Christians forever, man, especially you, what a wonderful opportunity we have this morning to recommit ourselves to this wonderful gift that we have in Jesus. I want to invite us as we um, participate in this baptism. You are not bystanders. You're the family of God welcoming more children into the life of God. And you actually have a part to play. So I want to invite you all to stand. What we're going to do is we're going to get to work. And all of those who are being baptized, if you could meet me in the back in about 10 seconds. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.